Open City Baptist. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, Anne and I really praise God for the opportunity that's been given to us. Thank you, Pastor, for trusting me. Uh, he doesn't know me, and you don't know me, but I want to tell you that I, I choose to believe God, the Word of God, uh, as it, it is the Word of God, and I praise God for that. Wanted to just share with you a little bit. I, we've got some leaflets here if you're interested. They're on the table over there. But multi ministries is what it says it is a multiplicity of ministries. And I'm a native African. My people go back in Africa 400 years. I guess as long as a lot of your people may go back in the United States, that's how long we've been there. Um, and God has placed us there. We believe to be part of His kingdom's work. Um, uh, some of you may have met Harold Peasley. Um, he started multi-ministries. Harold and I go back to the time when he graduated from seminary. I was a, a newly converted young teenager in those days, and our friendship has grown over the last 40 years. So I praise God for that. And then in recent days, uh, Harold came along and said and, and asked if we would take over the reins at multi-ministries, which eventually, at first I said to him, Harold, I'm your friend. You've got to be kidding. Please don't, uh, don't even consider it. Can't work. Our gifts are very different. He's an itinerant evangelist. I'm not an uh, out-and-out evangelist. I do evangelism because God's word says we need to do that. And by God's grace, many come to Christ. But my passion and vision is to train men and women in the word of God. And we at the moment are training men in our multi-ministry Bible college that we started. And I'm not going to spend too much te time telling you about it. But in essence, we have seen a tremendous need. Because what is happening is that people in South Africa who don't even have a secondary education in place, God is thrusting them out to lead churches and pastor churches. And we take those men and we train them in theology and we get them up to a standard where when they graduate with an accredited, an internationally accredited certificate in theology, when they've got that, they are equipped then to go into higher education and further their education. And so they are able to have a, a good, solid biblical base. And so we praise God for everything that is happening. Um, Anne and I just uh, two weeks ago came back from Zimbabwe. We've been ministering in Zimbabwe. And I need to tell you that there, like so many parts of southern Africa, we see again and again that people need the Lord Jesus Christ. We were ministering in a particular area. There's uh, a man and his wife and their son. Uh, they were about 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago, they were force, forcibly removed off their farm. Their farm was taken away from them. Uh, it was about 70,000 acres that was taken in one night. They uh, 2,000 head of breeding cattle were slaughtered and things were taken. And in spite of that, they've stayed where they are. They have started an orphanage for kids that were just found wandering in the bush 
with no family, nothing. They started an orphanage for that. They started, they reopened a hospital that used to be there, and they got doctors and they got nurses in and they organized it. They've got the hospital up and running again there, and they also started an ACE school in the bush in Zimbabwe. You travel along this little road and you turn off into the bush and you ride 60 miles on a track through the bush and you come to the settlement. And I said, I said, their son has just been called as a pastor to a church in the bush there. And I had the privilege of ordaining him into the ministry. And I said to him, Ludwig, how is it possible that in spite of everything that has happened, you can still stay here and minister? And he looked at me and he said, Steve, we're learning what it means to forgive. And I was blown away that in spite of everything that has happened, they are called by God to minister. And Anne and I held some of those little kids. We spoke to some of those teachers in the school. We spoke to some of the people involved in the hospital there. That hospital, by the way, the closest x-ray machine to that hospital is 180 miles away over Bush Road. That's the kind of work that they're doing. And they are ministering the word of God. They're sharing Jesus and people are coming to know the Lord. The very people, the very veterans who threw them off the farm, who came shooting up the farmhouse with AK-47s, those ve very veterans are coming to the church where Ludwig is pastoring. Their children are coming to the school that they have opened there. And it's amazing to see reconciliation and to see what the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is doing there. And so we praise God that we are part of that. We praise God for the work that Shabani is doing in Swaziland. Uh, I see Shabani every, about every second month or so. I know you saw him probably a little more recently than I saw him. I saw him about a month before you did last. Um, but again there, I want to say on behalf of multi-ministries, we praise God for your partnership in the gospel. Praise God for what you are doing through Shabani and through the work that he's doing in Swaziland. And I know some of you are, are planning to come to uh, Swaziland in September. I need to tell you that you need to pray hard because we need you in Southern Africa and we are so grateful to the Lord for the partnership that you have with us. Um, our prayers, I want to tell you that, that as I'm here in the States, and I've let the folk know that I'm going to be at Iron City tonight, I know in a few hours' time they're going to wake up, and then they're going to meet in the office, and 15 people in the office back at multi-ministries will be praying for you specifically, and will be praying for you, Brother Cody, will be praying for you, Brother Alan, and praying for your team. As you set this, as set this up with a team coming to Swaziland. So we're praying regularly for you. Please don't forget to pray for us as God would bring, you, uh, bring us to mind. And pray that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will go out powerfully there. One of the things the Lord has, has just uh, put in my heart and Anne's heart is just a real, real desire to see churches get excited about the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek together to uh, share Jesus Christ with people who don't know him. Africa is wide open to the gospel. Our government schools are wide open to the gospel. 
we go in and we can preach Jesus and we can preach the Bible and we can preach the cross in our government schools uh, in, and we are welcomed by the staff members and the heads of those schools. And so we praise God for that opportunity. And before that door closes, there are already noises to start closing those doors. Before that door closes, we want to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish in Southern Africa. I want to share with you tonight, um, as pastor has given me an opportunity just to share God's word, I know you come together, I want to share with you tonight uh, a story that you, from God's word that you probably know well, and if I say Good Samaritan, anybody not heard of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, you can tell me now. But if you go to Luke chapter 10, you can read that, and I want to just read one or two verses from that parable, and then just unpack it in perhaps a different way to, to that which we may expect. In God's word in Luke chapter 10, We've got the story, and the Bible says in verse 25 that an expert in the law came to Jesus. He stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is what Jesus said. He, he said to him, What does the law say? What is written in the law? How do you read it? And this expert in the law answers, Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus added that part with all your mind. And I want to say, I'm glad that the young people are here. I want to say to you young people, do not, do not, do not forget to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Because Christianity and faith is not about intellectual suicide. You need to apply your mind to the things of God and the word of God. The difference is this. Some will say, I don't believe, therefore, I don't understand rather, therefore I won't believe. But for us as Christians, we say, by faith, Lord, I believe. Now, please help me understand. And that's the great difference in the two streams in the world today. This guy stands up and he, he answers with, with scripture. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then he, he wants to take it a step further. And so he wants to justify himself, verse 29 says. And he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story in a context that they understand. And I want to take the story tonight of the Good Samaritan, and I want to try to put it in a modern context. And let's see if we can really grasp something here that we haven't perhaps grasped before. And I want to speak about this parable just looking briefly at five attitudes that we find in the story in God's word. There are five attitudes. And the first attitude that we find here is in verse 30. And that is, what's yours is mine. You've got, I haven't, therefore I'm going to take from you. I was watching news here. I know in Africa, in Southern Africa, we certainly have a lot of bad news when it comes to crime and violence and bad things. 
But I was listening to your news here, and I saw what happened in Atlanta over the weekend. And they talk about home invasions. They talk about robberies. They talk about things happening to people. The same things that are happening here are happening in various parts of the world. And it's this attitude of what's yours is mine. You've got, I haven't, I'm going to take. And that's a prevalent attitude. Verse 30 says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Let's try and put the story in a modern context. A guy gets into his new Lexus, and he travels all the way from Atlanta to New York. Now, I guess that's quite a long way to drive by vehicle. Maybe he sleeps over at a Holiday Inn on the way, I don't know. But he eventually gets to New York, and he gets lost. And he ends up in a suburb that is a bit dodgy. Maybe, what are the, what's the su su uh, suburbs in New York dodgy? Bronx? I, yeah, I guess I've heard that it's a bit dodgy there. And it's late at night, and he's lost. And he, he winds down his window, and he asks someone, Excuse me, friend, can you tell me how to get to such and such a place? And the guy says, man, can I help you because I'm going to help myself. And he grabs the guy by his collar. He hauls him out, and he and his buddies start beating this guy, baseball bat, and they beat him to a pulp. They take his watch. They take his wallet. They take his car. They take everything he has and leave him half dead lying on the sidewalk. No policeman in sight. And there he's left. And so they have displayed this attitude of you've got, I haven't, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. And certainly in our world today, we don't have to spend a lot of time just recognizing that this is a reality. This kind of thing is happening in South Africa every six minutes, they tell me, this kind of violent beating. I don't know how, how prevalent it is in the United States, but the little bit of news I've seen is that it's certainly happening right here in your own country. What's yours is mine. As God's people, we've got to look and make sure that our attitude is different from the world's attitude around us. I think what Jesus is saying. The second attitude that we see here is what's yours is yours. You made your bed, now you lie in it. Is that an attitude that's prevalent? And it is so easy to have this thing. We see someone in need. We see some problem. We see some issue. And we come with this attitude sometimes. And I've got to say, even in my own heart, sometimes even I'm guilty of this attitude of saying, what's yours is yours. You got a problem you got yourself into it, you get yourself out of it. It's your problem. Verse 31 says, A priest happened to be going down that same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. How do we place this in a modern context? Well, let's consider this priest. I don't know if he was... Uh, a particularly religious man. I do know that the priests in Jesus' day were uh, politicians. And we could use the analogy, perhaps, that one of our esteemed citizens in the city 
that we live or in the county that we live was driving by in uh, his nice Lincoln town car and he's going past there and he sees this guy lying on the sidewalk and he says, wow, that guy's been hit bad, but I can't get involved. You know, I'm an important guy in my community. If I stop here, this is a dangerous neighborhood. If I stop here, I, something might happen to me. So I'm just going to pass by on the other side and I'm going to leave him. And even esteemed citizens in our society are going by instead of getting involved. We can go on and on and on and say, yes, we know this. The next guy that goes, comes past here is a Levite. Maybe we're going to say that that's the local Baptist pastor. I know your pastor would never do this. He comes cruising by in his Ford F-150. Oh, no, that's getting, a, <coughs> that's getting a bit close to the bone. But, <coughs> but a religious Christian leader in our context, a guy who says he believes the Bible, and I've got to say, sometimes this is in my heart when I see some of the things going on. And he sees the guy lying on the sidewalk, bleeding, he's going to die. But man, with AIDS and all of these things, I've got a responsibility. I'm a married guy, I've got little kids, I've got, I've got to look after my family. I can't get involved. And it's a dangerous neighborhood. And it's bad things happening in that part of society. And so we can end up having this attitude of saying, what's yours is yours. And we can take it a step further when we look at our own churches. And we, we, we see that uh, people are struggling and we see maybe the young girl that's pregnant and say, well, she, it's our own fault. And we see someone suffering in society. And we say, well, they, they, just, they got financial difficulties because they ran up too much debt. And all of that is true. But what is calling us to do? And what is Jesus saying in this parable? And how does it apply to us? I've got to say, and use perhaps use the cliche in trying to make a point here tonight. We cannot... And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, must not be found doing nothing just because we can't do everything. A guy was walking on the beach one day, and a whole lot of fish were washed up on the beach. Millions and millions of little fish wriggling. The tide had gone out. The pool that they were caught in there was drying up, and the water was going down and down and down. And these, there were going to be millions of little fish that were dying. And there's this guy walking along the beach, and he picks up a wriggling little fish, just getting its last breath, and he throws it back in the water. And he walks down another 10, 20 paces. He bends down. He's passing hundreds of thousands of these little fishes, but he bends down, and he picks another one up, and it's still wriggling, and he throws it back in the water. And so he walks down, and one of his buddies see, sees him do this, and he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm throwing some fish back in the water. And the buddy says, but you're not making a difference. There are millions of them. He says, yeah. And he picks up another little wriggling fish. He says, you see this fish? Yeah. To this little fish, I'm making a difference. 
and he throws him back. And I think that's something of what Jesus is saying to us in this portion of God's word. We cannot be, be guilty of doing nothing just because we can't do everything. And so we struggle with this in our churches. And we end up by saying what's yours is yours because it's too complex getting involved. I want to say something to you as a church. You don't know me here. You just know my name, perhaps, and, and I don't know you. But I want to urge you with everything I can. Church, learn what it means to practice biblical hospitality. Learn what it means to get involved with your church body in the area. As the church, in, I, don't, I don't know about here, but in South Africa, we live behind walls. We live behind electric fences. We live behind security. And we don't have a real good social fabric. Um, our son, our eldest son lives in Barcelona, Spain. And we visit, we've got a grandson there, so we, we got to get there somehow, I tell you. And, but we visit there, and it's wonderful to see in that society still a good social interaction on the sidewalks in the cafes as they have coffee together, as they share together. To some extent, I see it a lot more than in South Africa. But I want to say to you, church, practice hospitality. And so we see the third, the third attitude as well. We see in the first and second one. The second one is, what's yours is yours. But there's a third one here. Verse 33 speaks about that. And that is an attitude of this. What's his is mine. What's his, lying on the, pay, on the sidewalk, is mine. Look at verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, the Bible says, he took pity on him. Let's change that word to he had compassion on him. He suffered along with the man. What do we mean? Well, you see, the Bible says here that he was a Samaritan. And in those days, before I say what I'm going to say, we've come through a period in South Africa of terrible racism. We've come through a period where racism has been legislated, not just with attitude. But whether racism is legislated or not, racism is racism. And in the days of Jesus, the Samaritans, man, a Jewish person had nothing to do with a Samaritan. They would go miles out of their way to avoid having any dealings with a Samaritan. And so how did, what does Jesus say to this religious teacher, expert in the law? He uses the one person that the guy would say, he's the most unlikely guy to offer help because we know those guys, we know them, and we don't like them. And Jesus says the Samaritan comes along there. Now, let's put this in a, in a modern context. Who's the most least, guy, least like guy in your society here in the United States? I don't know. Maybe a used car salesman. I don't know. I don't know who you don't like. Um, <clears throat> there was one time I sold property. Not a lot of guys like real estate agents, but 
but I don't know who you don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys in uh, 15th of April, is that your tax deadline here? You are, eh? I heard that from somebody that is 15th of April. Ours has just been. Maybe we don't like the tax man. And maybe he really gives us a headache. So imagine this guy in our context is the tax man. He comes riding by in his nice new spanking leather up Hall Street. What kind of cars are nice? What do you get nice cars? Suppose a Lexus is quite nice. Maybe it's a BMW. Maybe it's some expensive car. He comes riding by. He sees the guy lying on the sidewalk. And he comes with this attitude. And he says, man, what's his is mine. I've got a responsibility. And he goes and he kneels down next to this guy. And he wipes all the mess off him and it's all over him and he gets the, the, the first aid kit out of the trunk of his car. By the way, in South Africa, we've got different names for all the parts of the car. We call it a boot. You call it a trunk. So he goes to the boot, he opens the boot and he takes out his, 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 his first aid kit and he starts helping this guy lying there that's bleeding. He cleans him up and he gently picks him up. The Bible says he placed him on his donkey on his ass, but he picks him up, modern context, he sticks him on those nice, expensive leather seats. They're going to get messed, but he says, what's his is mine. And so he puts him in the car. Let's push this analogy a bit here. Jesus said he took, took out two coins when he got to the inn. So he took him to the private hospital, and he didn't take out two coins because he Two coins don't go very far today, but he took out his MasterCard and his Visa card. And he, he says, you look after this guy. You, you take care of him. I will sign an indemnity so that his charges will come onto my account if there's not enough here. And what he has done is he says, what's, what's his is mine, but he's portrayed a fourth attitude there. He's, he's actually said, that's What's mine is yours. The stuff I've got. Isn't it wonderful in the Hebrew language? There's no word in the Hebrew Old Testament language for I have. No word. Only concept in the Hebrew language is there is to me. Graciously on loan from God. That's when you study the language, that's what you find in the Old Testament. And this guy here has portrayed the fourth attitude of what's mine is yours. Friend, you've got a need. You need some help. And I'm going to do everything I can to help. And he said here, what's mine is yours. What about our attitude in this situation? The word of God says, I am my brother's keeper. We know that. But how does it apply to us? And what is actually being said here? Yeah, we, we know we need to care for one another. We know that we've got to love the unlovely and not only the lovely. Love the unlovely, not only the lovely. But it's not always easy to do that. But I want to say to you, church here tonight, that before we can expect anything in our churches by way of caring or people caring for us, 
before we can expect any other brother or sister to care for us, we need to be exercising that ministry to our brothers and sisters in our churches. We cannot say that the church is uncaring unless we are at the forefront of caring. We can't say that the church is unfriendly unless we go out of our way to be friendly. Don't say that the church is full of gossip unless we are blameless in that area. May we really have this attitude that is portrayed here of what's his is mine and of what mine is yours. I believe if that happened, we would see a radical transformation in our communities. But there's something else in the story of the Good Samaritan that we can easily miss. There's a fifth attitude, and I want to end with this. There's a fifth attitude here. I wanted to say right at the beginning, one of the problems we have when we study the parables, when we study the Gospels, one of the problems we have and one of the dangers that we have, traps we have of falling into, is that we can end up moralizing. We end up looking for the good guy and for the bad guy. And then we say, well, a good Christian is more like the good guy than the bad guy. And you look at the kids' stories on TV. It's quick to spot the bad guy, isn't it? Man, he's ugly, he's got foul-smelling breath and all of those things. It's actually not, the, not true when you come to see what the Bible says sometimes about the bad guy. He may present very well. But the fact is we can't fall into the trap of merely taking a story like the Good Samaritan and just moralize it and go away from a, a meeting like this and say, well, the lesson we learned tonight is that we've got to be more like the good guy, not so much like the bad guy. Because then we miss, miss what the Gospels are all about. And we miss out on the fifth attitude that I want to share. And why do I say that? Because so far, but for the mention a few times of the name Jesus, I could preach this sermon in a mosque and it would be acceptable. And I can preach it in, to the Buddhists and they'd find it acceptable. Or to the Krishnas or to Confucius and his followers, followers I could say, you've got to be more like the good guy. And all of them would say, yeah, right on. And we miss the fifth attitude that we find here. You see, in our world today, certainly in South Africa and in the church at large that I come across, is that when it comes to love, unity, brotherhood, tolerance, we say we all agree on that. And as Christians, how can we speak against anybody from any other faith that preaches those things before you just listen to the end before you kick me out here as Christians we can't speak against love tolerance unity and brotherhood but there's a fifth attitude and I've said it a few times that we need to take note of and it is simply this that in our speaking about these passages of Scripture from the Word of God, we miss one attitude, and it is simply this. What's mine is His. And when what is mine is His in the true sense of the Word, 
Then what Jesus was saying here, or the teacher had said was correct, and Jesus said is correct, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And if we are going to be anything as the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to recognize that the fifth attitude deals with the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And the uniqueness is simply this. That when it comes to all these morals and all these good things, the people who worship in other faiths can go to that mausoleum or that grave. But we as the people of Christ have to say that we serve a risen Savior. We serve a Jesus who is alive. We have got a unique message that we worship God who is alive. Jesus who sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And we've got an exciting, true, real, living God that we worship. It is not wood or stone. It is not the created, but it is the very creator. He is the creator of heaven and earth that we worship. Hallelujah. Jesus lives, and that's the uniqueness. He intercedes for us. And so when we come as Christians, it is not being kind to the guy who's bleeding on the sidewalk that is what it's all about. It is about giving our all to Christ. And when our all is given to Christ, a byproduct is that these morals fall into place. A byproduct is love, brotherhood, Tolerance, unity. The fifth attitude of what's mine is his. And then the other things fall into place. And so I want to say to you, church, as we join hands together across the ocean in seeking to work together and do things together, the one thing that binds us together is that Jesus Christ is alive and his word is true and he makes a difference in my heart and life. And because of that difference, when I do things, when I go on a mission trip, it's not about going to do good things across the big pond over there. It's about my worship and submission to Jesus. And when that is right, then I want to join hands with those who are doing something practical on the ground. And that is not the basis of my salvation. The basis of my salvation is complete surrender to Christ alone. Hallelujah. <clears throat> May God help us when we come to our attitudes that it's not just trying to do something here and something there, that it is complete submission to a living Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you as we join hands together and as we work together seeking to fulfill what Jesus has told us to do. And I wonder as I close this time together, if we can join hands and just hold hands right around this room, just as a symbol of saying we are joining hands together in living for Jesus and saying that's what we are saying, what's mine is his. We join together. Hallelujah. Right around.